0: Let me, excuse me, let me direct your attention to the Word of God as it's found in four passages of Scripture. The first is Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 16. For it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, and as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what, lie, what is behind and straining toward the, what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Colossians chapter 1, 24 to 27. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission of God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." 1 Peter 4, verses 1 and 2, therefore since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin as a result they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires but rather for the will of god and finally second corinthians chapter one verses three through eleven praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ the father of compassion and the god of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And he has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers then many will give thanks on your behalf on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many may God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word The events of recent weeks and months <clears throat> have brought to my mind and spirit a, a sense of great heaviness. This is not unusual for me. Um, I struggle with issues of depression and other things, but it just seems like there is so much sorrow surrounding us in the world. The ongoing effects of COVID and its the toil it has taken on our nation in uh, death and, 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 and disruption Uh, we are still uh, losing 300 souls a day uh, to the covid uh, epidemic the outbreak of a cruel war in ukraine and the reports of damage and death that inevitably accompany such a war there are also the economic ripples that have affected the world and our country as well including shortages of food and the rise of inflation the numerous mass shootings throughout the land as well as the numerous individual shootings that have occurred throughout our land as well, and even in Grand Rapids, even in the neighborhood of this very congregation. Uh, these are also grim testimonies to the universality of sin and, and suffering. And this suffering, this environment, this sorrow includes Christians. It includes us. We do not escape suffering. Indeed, we are to expect it, and we are called upon to embrace it as well as the comfort that God provides for us in the midst of our sorrows in our grief this morning I want to talk to you uh, all about that I want to engage in a study of two things first what it means to receive the comfort of God but secondly to receive that comfort on the backdrop of our calling to share in the sufferings of Christ In the history of ethics, there's been an influential school of thought known as utilitarianism, uh, most fully articulated by a gentleman named John Stuart Mill. Utilitarianism argues that the rightness or wrongness of an action, its moral weight, is determined by the consequences. The good or right action is that which promotes the greatest amount of happiness for the greatest number uh, of, of people. And happiness, in this case, is defined in hedonistic terms. That's a heavy word, which simply means um, the highest principle is that of pleasure. And, and so that the, uh, happiness is found in the greatest amount of pleasure and the least amount of pain. Now, as a school of morality, you know, utilitarianism is inadequate. Um, um, it's difficult to try to judge what all the con- benefits of all the consequences are. But some moral acts, like falling on a grenade in order to save uh, your comrades, seems inherently good a- apart from, uh, uh, from consequences. For example, if somebody fell on a grade to save his comrades and it didn't go off, you wouldn't pick up the grade and say, stupid thing, stupid thing. Why didn't you know? start shaking it or something like that? And even John Stuart Mill argued that some pleasures were better than others. He said it was better to be a Socrates dissatisfied than a pig satisfied. But the question is, on what basis? I mean, the pig might say, hey, don't knock it if you haven't tried it, Okay, Um, um, uh, uh, Who's to say which pleasures are greater? But despite its failure as a system of ethics, it has broad, popular appeal and has had great cultural influence. All of us, as a rule, do like pleasure and certainly would like to avoid as much pain as possible. Indeed, getting out of or avoiding pain can become quite a quest and and strongly shape our temperaments, our priorities, our strategies uh, for living uh, and for survival. Some people become shy, not because they're inherently shy, but by becoming shy and withdrawing, um, people won't make demands on them. And so they can avoid uh, the pain or sorrow of, of being faced with demands they cannot meet. Or some can be aggressive uh, because they don't want people to sneak up on them. And they want to be able to control uh, the situ- situation. So as a general rule of human nature, we want to avoid pain, and, and, and sometimes we will go to great lengths to avoid uh, such pain. And when we are in pain, whether physical or emotional, we want to get out of it. If a bee were to come into the building right now and sting Sting with any one of you, you would uh, not forget about the sermon, forget about the worship service, forget about anything. All you'd want to do is deal with the bee and get out of pain, right? When pain comes, uh, uh, we want to get out of it right away. But also when pain endures, we long to be comforted. We long to be comforted. It's on the backdrop of this universal tendency to maximize pleasure and to avoid pain that the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 stand out to us in uh, bold uh, relief. In this third chapter of Philippians, Paul recites all the advantages he had had, had enjoyed as a Pharisaical Jew. Verses 5 and 6 of Philippians 3. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of the Hebrews in regard to the law a Pharisee as regards to zeal persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law faultless. But Paul goes on to say that all these things he counts as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus, verse 8a, for whose sake he has lost all things. Indeed, in the second part of verse 8, he says he counts it all as garbage as garbage for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Now the word translated garbage here in the NIV is really a stronger word than that. Um, It's sometimes translated dung, uh, which is a good translation, Uh, could probably more up-to-date English, excrement. Uh, Paul here is uh, making the strongest contrast possible between what he once had and what he now enjoys in Jesus. And that contrast is striking, and it's really extraordinary. But Paul goes on. I consider them garbage or refuse or dung, that I may gain Christ to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, and the participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead now it's that last phrase that's truly astonishing that he longs to attain to the participation in Christ's sufferings Um, what does that mean? Well, the Greek term here is koinonia, a a word that sometimes shows up in English or um, uh, that uh, that gets transliterated in English. You may have heard of it, you may even have some insight into it. It means fellowship or uh, partnership. We don't have fellowship meals, we have koinonia meals, okay, Um, uh, uh, the fellowship or partnership. It's the same word Paul uses at the beginning of Philippians where he thanks God for the koinonia, for the fellowship, for the partnership of the gospel that he has uh, with the church at Philippi. uh, Chapter one, verse five. Paul wants to know the power of Christ's resurrection and the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Now, why would Paul want to do that? Why would he want to share in Christ's sufferings? And even more perplexing is this question, how is it even possible to do that? Uh, to share in the sufferings of Jesus. Now that's a very important question because this theme just doesn't occur here. It occurs several times uh, throughout the New Testament. For in Colossians 1, verse 24, I rejoice in what I'm, I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Wow! Here the language is even more remarkable. Not only does he long to share in the sufferings of Christ, but he fills up that which is incomplete or unfinished regarding the sufferings of Christ in the body of Christ. So also 2 Corinthians 1, through 3-5, especially verse 5. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comforts, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds in Christ. Now what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, first of all, we should consider what it doesn't mean. It does not mean, indeed it cannot mean, that we share in the redemptive sufferings of Jesus. What Christ did on the cross uh, for our sake uh, and the life that he lived on this world for our sakes was unique and unrepeatable. As the song says, popular song, Jesus walked that lonesome valley. He had to walk it by himself. No one else could walk it for him. He had to walk it uh, by himself. There is no way in any way or any form that we could said, be said to share in the sacrificial death, or the sacrificial work of Jesus, the suffering uh, ministry of Jesus, except by way of imputation. And what that means is that the benefits of what he did and what he suffered becomes imputed to us or our sin becomes imputed to him or placed upon him uh, in order that he might suffer and die and take it away. So it can't mean that You know, it could mean persecution, suffering that comes, uh, suffering of Christ that comes from being persecuted as Christians. Certainly, Jesus talks about this. Um, He mentions that he does not come to bring peace, uh, but a sword, to bring about division uh, that will take place. Uh, He reminds his disciples that anyone who would follow him must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow him. he shares with the disciples that if the world despised him, they would also despise them. And Paul states elsewhere that all those who are godly in Christ Jesus shall be persecuted. So perhaps persecution is here, at least that might be part of the picture uh, that Paul is speaking of. But my impression is from these texts that this is a more general expression referring to the sufferings of Jesus, one that refers to the general sorrow and suffering. Of the Lord. And to determine what that is, just a few questions might help us. What is it that made Christ suffer? It is sin. It is sin. It is sin that put him on the cross. Uh, to be sure, this is also a form of persecution. But he goes on the cross willingly for the purposes of sin and dealing with sin. It is also sin that made him weep over the death of his friend Lazarus because of the sorrow of death that sin brings. It was sin that made him weep over the city of Jerusalem. It was sin that makes him so often through the gospels sigh deeply uh, regarding the lack of faith of those uh, who are uh, are around him. And so it seems to me that sharing in the suffering uh, of Christ means to become sensitive to the sorrow of sin that is all around us, both outside of us and also uh, uh, within us. And not only uh, is this our privilege to share in the sufferings of Jesus and that understanding and to become sensitive to the sorrow of sin, it is also our calling. That is why Jesus says if anyone would be his disciple, he would deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow him. That is why Paul says in Philippians that to share in the fellowship of his sufferings is to be conformed uh, to the death of Jesus as well as a sharer in his life. In other words, to become a Christian is to become a sharer in the sorrow of sin. To grieve over it. In general, as we look out the world and we see all the terrible things that are happening, because of the way that people can be wicked towards other people. Uh, To look around us and see the sins and the failings of of, of others as they struggle or make shipwreck of their life or do damage uh, to other people. To be sensitive to the sorrows of sin in our own life. Because sin, whatever form uh, it takes, is horribly destructive and brings great uh, sorrow. 1 Peter 4, 1 to 2 that we read earlier becomes understandable if we, if we see the suffering of Christ in this way. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body uh, is done with sin or has ceased from sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for uh, the will of God. Again, a remarkable text. The one who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And I don't, simply believes that if we suffer, therefore that's somehow redemptive and our sin is taken away. I think it points to this newfound sensitivity that we have. That sin is now, if our hearts are changed, is repugnant to us. Uh, it is hurtful. It is sorrowful. Uh, and it makes us long uh, to turn from it ourselves and to encourage others to turn from it uh, and repent of it as well. And as a result, because of that, we we no longer want to live simply for ourselves. We want to live for God. We don't want to simply pursue evil desires, but we want to pursue and embrace the will uh, of God. This is the mark of the Christian. This is the mark of the Christian. Not that we do this perfectly. Um, Paul even comments in the text here that it's, I haven't already attained. Uh, it's not like I've accomplished this. Um, uh, um, but he says, I press on. I press on for the high calling uh, in, in, in Jesus. I press on to maturity. And he says, this should be your attitude. And if in any way it's not your attitude, God will show that to you. He'll make it clear to you in time. But hold fast to what you already understand. And strive uh, against sin. And that brings us then to the purpose of this fellowship, and it's, I think it's a twofold purpose. Uh, the first purpose is the opportunity to grow. The secondly, is the opportunity to comfort uh, uh, and to uh, and to uh, be comforted and to comfort uh, others. The opportunity to grow. First, this, is, this has really come home to me the last several uh, weeks and, and, and months. I know mean, I'm not the pastor here, but I have interactions with, with lots of you and conversations with lots of you. Uh, several of you have spoken of the sorrowful situations uh, that you or others you know have, have been involved in in recent weeks and months. Um, in addition, news of death and destruction in the Ukraine, uh, the mass shootings that have taken place, but the huge number of shootings that have occurred throughout the land have taken place even in our own neighborhood Uh, the the sorrow and bereavement uh, that has occurred within the congregation and the extended families of those in the congregation, Uh, the medical crises uh, that some of you uh, have had uh, to face, uh, praise the Lord, um, in at least two cases with very good outcomes. But nonetheless, the crisis is there and the anxieties were there. Um, All of these things have been shared in in, in, in personal, personal conversations and I'll testify uh, to, the, to the sorrow of living in a sin-filled world where there is sick and sin, sickness and sin and death. And these are real burdens. We don't whitewash them. We don't say, oh, it doesn't matter or just have the faith or whatever. No, these are real burdens. Uh, and they are burdens, remarkably, that Paul tells us we should not strive to flee, but we should strive to share in. That we should strive to share in. How can he say that? How can he say that? Because the fellowship of Christ's suffering is not simply from opportunity for religious agony uh, or introspection um, or self abasement, it is an opportunity for growth and for service. And it does so because it provides the opportunity to be comforted and to comfort others. But paul tells us that not only are we partakers in christ's suffering we are also partakers of christ's comfort that even as we agonize over sin we are also relieved by the god of all comfort and god confronts us comforts us personally for our benefit but also for another purpose that we might comfort uh, others And that brings us to the second uh, major heading there the experience of this comfort Uh, The Ministry of the God of All Comfort. Just as it is our natural tendency to promote pleasure and to avoid pain, um, uh, um, or just as our natural tendency to avoid pain, it is also our natural tendency to promote pleasure and pleasurable things. When we think of comfort, we tend to think of comfort in pleasurable terms, don't we? what feels good what makes us relax what makes us happy What restores some joy that we had in our life or in some circumstance um one favorite example of mine uh, and you'll probably think it an odd one so here i am revealing myself to all of you for uh for for joy or scorn or whatever but uh, in the classic movie harvey any of you seen harvey no one. Great. That's great. So, uh, um, so I'm going to broaden your horizons here. <clears throat> uh, in the classic movie Harvey, the major character is Elwood P. Dowd. Uh, he's played by Jimmy Stewart. Wonderful performance. Uh, and Jimmy Stewart is being committed to a psychiatric hospital because he claims uh, to know and have a puka. And a puka is an invisible six-foot-tall rabbit. And he has this puka, this invisible rabbit, as his companion. And everybody wants to commit him because he keeps trying to introduce his friend, the puka, okay? And nobody can see him. His psychiatrist, interestingly, eventually sees the puka and he becomes a defender of Elwood. Um, And I'll let you go find the movie. And it's a good, it's a fun movie. It's a relaxing, it's a pleasant little movie. But what I remember most from the movie, more than the puka and the rabbit and all this kind of stuff, is the psychiatrist's view of comfort. Uh, He shares with the people who are listening, he dreams of being on a Caribbean island surrounded by beautiful island natives who fan him with palm branches back and forth and whisper to him, poor sweet baby. Poor, sweet baby. So there you are, fanned by palm branches. Poor, sweet baby. And he found that as the epitome of comfort. Now, I have to confess that I sort of did too. That kind of moved me. You know, the idea of poor, sweet baby. That sounds really, 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 really pleasant. But this is an illustration by contrast, okay? The consolation and comfort of Christ is not like this. It's not just going off on a okay, Caribbean island somewhere, being fanned with palm branches, and being whispered to, poor sweet baby. Okay, um, It's not the avoidance of difficulty or sorrow or suffering, but it is instead hope in the midst of it. And this hope is not simply for ourselves, but for others as well. Again, back to 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Praise to, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Now that's just a wonderful passage of Scripture, isn't it? Um, it's, it's comforting just to read it. It's comforting just to read it. So if If you want to write it down in the back of your Bible or something in need of comfort, that's where you want to go, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But it's also profound because it tells us that God does not leave us in our sorrow even though we share in the sufferings of Jesus. That He comforts us, but He does something additional. He encourages us to comfort other people. And this comfort is sufficient as paul is writing to the corinthians here in second corinthians chapter uh, one uh, he speaks to them about his sufferings after that section there he elaborates all the things that the, he and the disciples have gone through apparently some of the corinthians were angry uh, because he didn't come uh, to corinth when he said he would he was delayed and so paul begs their indulgence he says i'm sorry i'm sorry i didn't come he says um, but. He kind of summons from them also a recognition that circumstances like those they've experienced require compassion and not censure. He mentions how he and his companions were burdened beyond strength, but that God comforted them and that this comfort uh, was sufficient. This is important to remember. God's comfort is sufficient. Uh, My wife uh, grew up in Papua New Guinea um, as a child of missionary parents. Um, uh, She was hut-schooled, which was an early form of homeschooling, okay, in Papua New Guinea. Um, Her folks were Bible translators. And her mom died suddenly and unexpectedly of undiagnosed cancer at the age of 50, about a year and a half after we were married. She died overseas on, on the field. Her father subsequently remarried a very fine woman whom he had known on the field and they had a very very good life together but it was also a brief one in what seemed like deja vu all over again his second wife also contracted cancer this time it was diagnosed they returned immediately to the states for treatment but her cancer was aggressive and she died within six months of the diagnosis When Dottie was in her final days, uh, we spoke with Dad, and we asked him, how is he doing? And his reply was this. It's very hard. It's very hard. But I can't say I can't handle it. It's very hard, but I can't say I can't handle it. And this testimony is true and was striking. And it wasn't a testimony about how strong my father-in-law was. That's not what he was making. I can't say I can't handle it. It was a testimony about the sufficiency of God's comfort for him in the midst of another hard stewardship and the loss of a second spouse. God's comfort is sufficient. And we need to recognize that so that when the sorrows become particularly intense, uh, we can realize that God's care for us is full and complete. We also need to recognize the purpose of this comfort. And Paul goes on to say that now that God has sustained him and has comforted him, he is eager to comfort the Corinthians. His hardship has prepared him uh, to be able to minister uh, to them. And this notion of suffering and being comforted as a preparation for being able to minister to others is a pattern that I've seen over and over again uh, throughout my life uh, in uh, in ministry. Even way back when I was in seminary, a long, long time ago, God often used hardship to, to mature men beyond their years and experience. That those who were going to seminary, seminary itself was a difficult stewardship, but there was also oftentimes health issues, health and family issues, financial issues, marital struggles all of which God used in an amazing way uh, to be able to mature these folks and to prepare them for the years of ministry when they would be seeking to serve and care uh, for uh, other other people. The second illustration comes from one of two men who were most influential in my life and ministry. His name was Evan Welsh. He was the chaplain at Wheaton College when I was there also many years ago. And the man and his wife, uh, Chaplain Welsh and his wife were hospitality personified um, uh, they never locked the door there was always a tray of goodies um, in, in the front porch if they weren't there there was a little sign come on in sit down have a donut cup of coffee we'll be back soon but he was also walking comfort to meet with Evan Welsh was to just be relieved just be relieved put at ease, comforted. Uh, the, the last time I saw him was many years ago. Uh, it was the last time I visited him um, uh, before he died. Uh, I was on a spiritual high for two weeks afterwards, just blessed by the comfort that he exuded. But this gift, this ability, this love was not obtained without cost his wife was first wife was killed in an automobile accident for which i'm not certain about this but i believe he bore some responsibility and it left him alone with two very small children two young girls the lord providentially provided him a second wife who helped raise his two daughters and who shared his vision for ministry but out of that deep sorrow the comfort he received he was able to be of comfort to thousands to thousands including this poor soul who was at the receiving end of his ministry many times when i was in school and this has revealed the purpose of the comfort of god the comfort of god is not something something we need and that god graciously supplies the comfort of god is something we need because we share in the sufferings of christ in a sinful world and that god graciously supplies but in order that we might be able to comfort others. And don't miss that second part. This is a rich resource that God provides us and permits us to use to engage in the ministry of comfort to others. And this morning, I hope you remember much of what I've said this morning, but the primary application I want to leave you with this morning is this. Our lives are not to consist, as much as the world thinks of, of trying to gain the greatest amount of pleasure and the least amount of pain. That is the appearance of wisdom, but that's not where wisdom is found. Our calling is to share in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings by recognizing the real sorrow that exists in the world because of sin. And it's not artificial sorrow, it's not surface level sorrow, it goes deep. And in the face of that sorrow, to be comforted by God and the gospel and to be a comfort uh, to others. I, I don't know all of you. I know some of you. I don't know all of you, but I know all of you have suffered. I may not be aware of what form. Perhaps you suffered in your childhood, growing up in a very difficult circumstance. Perhaps you have suffered in your body facing various illnesses, injuries, or impediments. Perhaps you have suffered in your circumstances, being harshly or unfairly treated. Perhaps you have suffered in your marriage uh, or in your family, uh, struggles with a spouse or struggles with a child um, uh, uh, who was belligerent. Uh, Perhaps uh, you have struggled with different things, with substance abuse or addictions. Perhaps in bereavement and the loss of a friend, a parent, a spouse, a sibling, or even a child these are hard things but you are here there this morning because despite those sorrows God comforted you and he has brought you before him to live before him in worship and this morning I would encourage you to take the next step to seek opportunities to share the comfort of God uh, with others You may not realize this, and so I hope I can provoke you to it. You have love and comfort to give. You have a rich resource. You have the love and the grace of the gospel that has been applied to you in which you are able, therefore, freely to apply uh, to others. Perhaps you can give and are giving that in your own family, uh, perhaps among your friends. But certainly, you have love and grace and comfort to give in this congregation. Let me just encourage you to step out in a little bit of faith and offer it. And offer it. If you share in the sorrows of sin, if you have received the comfort of God, don't turn back that comfort from others. Don't turn back from a troubled friend or a lonely person. Don't turn back from someone who struggles with a different, difficult marriage. They don't know what to do and you don't know what to do, but don't turn back. Don't turn away from someone who's going through hard times. You can help. You can help. You have something to offer. And I can't say this strongly enough and I can't urge you strongly enough to do it. Let me challenge you this morning, and this is not a harsh challenge. This is a gentle, warm, gooey, fuzzy challenge, okay, uh, to put this truth to the test. Today, or this week, or this month, no pressure, okay, right? Reach out to somebody, reach out to somebody. Maybe somebody at church, maybe somebody at work, maybe somebody Uh, in your neighborhood, maybe somebody in your family. Uh, But if it's somebody that you don't know that well, just do this, ask them about their life and how they're doing. As as we all struggle in this present age, just ask, you know, how are you coping with Ukraine uh, or with the circumstances in our country or with these terrible shootings? Just ask them. Um, And I have found in my ministerial experience All you have to do is scratch somebody, and immediately the whole sad story comes out, and you have more ministry than you know what to do with. Okay? Uh, Let me encourage you to go out and scratch somebody. And then when you do, and when that sad story comes out, then share the comfort that you have received. You don't have to explain anything, give them all the answers, just share with them how you have shared in the sufferings of Christ and that you've also shared in the comfort of Christ and share how you have been comforted. I think both you and the person uh, will be blessed. And you can do this. You can do this because you're a Christian, because you know the sorrow of sin in a sin-filled world. But you also know the comfort of God and of the gospel. I'll close with one illustration, one final illustration. When I was a young man, I was worried and troubled about many things. And now that I'm an old man, I'm still worried and troubled about many things, okay? You would think after all these years, you'd make some progress, And some progress has been made, but not as much as I would hope. But once as a high schooler, I was talking to my pastor about some of those struggles and I was seeking comfort. And he told me this story, which I believe is true, but I don't know its source. I don't know its source. He told me about a Scottish pastor who was struggling with spiritual depression. He was wrestling in agony over his sermon and the stewardship of ministering to his congregation. Uh, An elder happened to stop by uh, the study and found him in a terrible state of mind, depressed, lying on the floor, just um, rigid uh, with fear. And the pastor said to the elder, John, I feel like God has forsaken me. And the elder, seeking to be of help, simply said to him, you know, a better man than you said that once. A better man than you said that once. And the truth of that statement broke through the pastor's depression and he was able to rise up and minister the word to his congregation in a powerful way. I resonated with that illustration uh, 55 years ago in my pastor's study, and I still do. I still do. Because it reminds me of the truths we've considered this morning of the fellowship of Christ's sufferings and the comfort of God, or as Paul puts it, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the way, first of all, that it delivers us from the sorrow of sin and death. uh, that it moves us from a circumstance of being your enemies uh, to being your friends. Uh, but it does so much more. It does so much more. It enables us now to live in the light of the gospel and the gospel promises, to live in the light of your promises and in your in your presence, uh, and to uh, seek transparently uh, to uh, be what you would have us to be, that, that we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. In the life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, as we rehearse these truths this morning, uh, enable us as we face many sorrows and many situations and unsettling things are happening in the world uh, to be comforted and to have confidence in you uh, that you do all things well. But we pray also um, uh, that you would grant to us comfort and the ability to use the comfort we received and have received through the years to be of help and comfort uh, to others and to strengthen the folks in this congregation and all the folks that we know and we encounter. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.